as a lump of salt thrown in water dissolves and cannot be taken out again, though wherever we taste the water it is salty, even so, beloved, the separate self dissolves in the sea of pure consciousness, infinite and immortal. Separateness arises from identifying the self with the body, which is made up of the elements. When this physical identification dissolves, there can be no more separate self. This is what I want to tell you, beloved. My tray. Welcome back to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. This is episode 180. Uh, all the content on this podcast is Fair Use Creative Commons license, so let's dive into it. Been doing a lot of deep dives on BitChute, even finding good content there, YouTube, and just uh, a, a website called archive.org. Some really good videos there. Uh, kind of tricky to, to find content on there, but once you get used to the interface, it's, it's not too bad. But literally last night, today is May 21st, obviously 2022. And there were a few videos that I saw yesterday. Actually, three of them. One was by Mark Passio. Uh, what is the, what do they call that? Um, universal law, uh, and it's the eighth principle of caring. And I might actually attack that, attack that on either to this episode or maybe a future one. Really, really good. Mark Mark Passio is extremely intense. But of the three, that was the first one. The other one I saw was by a gentleman by the name of Bill Donahue. And he gets into like the photon and, and, and such and the oneness and the unity with God. Kind of like that episode I did with Terrence McKenna. So that was really good, man. It, 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 I'll tell you, it's it's almost like uh, serendipitous, like I'm listening to it and it's like a lot of the same exact things that I say that I haven't heard many other people say, especially with regard to the photon. You know, and my whole thing on the photon is that I could prove that this whole world is duplicitous. Because everything in, in creation, everything in the universe, all existence, is duplicitous in that everything has a positive and negative charge. You know, uh, protons and electrons. So, therefore, they're duplicitous. If you break something down to its smallest component, the smallest component is going to be uh, an atom, so to speak. That's what they're saying. And then there's some things that are uh, quarks or something like that. But whatever you look at is going to have a positive and negative charge. So it's duplicitous. But there's one thing in all of existence that is singular. And that is a photon of light. And that's the one thing that for years just has had me going. And that why, why is this one thing, this photon, the only thing singular in, in all of creation. And, you know, God, they say God. God says he's light, which he is. And which is a photon. And... It is not duplicitous, it is singular. The other thing with the photon is that all of, of life is sustained. Let's say here on Earth or wherever is sustained by photosynthesis, which are green plants or just plants in general converting sunlight into, into uh, energy and into food. And that's through the photon. So the smallest particle, the smallest element of life supports the biggest, supports everything. And everything is dependent on photosynthesis for life here. So that's always kind of tripped me out in that I'm like, damn, there's, there's something to that, you know. So I'm, I'm watching this video yesterday with Bill Donahue. I believe he's a, a, a an author or something like that. I tried to do some research on him, and I, I don't see a lot. I see he talks about the Bible, and he talks about God and Jesus. You can you can YouTube him. He's, 
I haven't vetted all of his content, but I've looked at a couple of videos of him, and I pretty much we pretty much overlap 100%, 95% of what he says. I mean, he's got his shit together. So he gets into he gets into the Bible creation. He gets into the photon, basically. Yeah, we'll he'll you'll listen to him uh, build on. He speak on that, and then you have uh, a professor. Dr. Michael Behe, B-E-H-E, and he debunks Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution, and he breaks it down, it's like seven minutes, he breaks it down really, really succinctly, where um, it, it, he leaves no doubt in that uh, he gives he gives it to you by, because uh, like I said, he's a professor of biochemistry, so he breaks it down really technically, but easy to understand in the sense of you can see he's speaking truth, basically, and not, not BSing. Just to get, pr- building up his his supporting his statements, and uh, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah, yeah. Again, this this specifically those this Bill Donahue, um, uh, Death Light and the Photon, was crazy. I mean, I, I was listening to it, and it kind of it was amazing. It was amazing for me to listen to. So, yeah, man. And you know, don't don't take anything I say, you know, as a uh, low, which I know you don't. But or, or what anybody says, do your own research, cross-reference everything, listen to everything. You know, bullshit sounds like bullshit and truth sounds like truth. But you got to be careful because there is so much misleading going on right now. I'm trying to keep away from talking about, you know, the inoculation and all the politics that are going on right now. All I can say is it seems like their plans are crumbling and they don't know what to do because they don't have a, a, a real foundation. Everything that they're selling us is a bag of bullshit. And they're trying to enslave the population and people, they, we're catching on to it at this point. It's, to me, it's kind of late, but in a way, it's really never too late because now that everybody's unifying, I think there's riots in Sri Lanka. Again, today being May 21st, man, I was looking on, on, on Instagram and there's like food riots over there. So... Yeah, I'm kind of shadow banned as it is, so I want to kind of, I don't want to shadow ban myself any worse, but I do appreciate all of your communication, all of your feedback, and all of your positive support. Again, my email is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My Instagram is likewise, alphamalebuddhist. Uh, my website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. I have really great um, IGTV videos on there that'll accelerate your awakening, you know, 10 years faster because it's just meat and potatoes of, of, of what um, what it's about. So I did listen to this last night, so I said, let me just throw this up online and, you know, I think the listeners will appreciate this. And uh, I really do want to thank you for listening and namaste. Now, it turns out if any of these parts are missing, the trap doesn't work. So not only is it complex, it's what I called irreducibly complex. You can't take a part away and still have it work. If you took away this hammer, you know, the mice don't get caught, take away the spring or the holding bar, any of the pieces, it doesn't work. Now the problem for Darwin's theory is is that, number one, the molecular foundation of life is is run by machines. The cell is run by actual machines made out of molecules. 
people <laughs> find that fantastic, but hey, that's, that's the way it is. There are little machines that act like uh, outboard motors that can propel cells along and other machines that carry cargo from one part of a cell to another. And those machines, just like pretty much any machine, and including the mousetrap, have a number of different parts performing different roles, and they're all needed for the machine to work. Darwin's theory of uh, evolution requires that natural selection favor an organism that has a very small change that helps the organism do something better. So if we're taking that view of Darwinism, we can ask how could something like this, something like a mousetrap, be put together one tiny step at a time? And it turns out <laughs> it's surprisingly difficult. You, you know, if you just had the wooden platform, just the bottom, that doesn't catch mice. If you put on, say, this, this holding bar, you might say, well, maybe if a mouse is running along, it would trip on the platform and impale itself on the holding bar. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of just silly. Uh, so this can't be made gradually. So that's a big problem for Darwin's theory because pretty much the foundation of life, these things are, are all over the place. And furthermore, you can ask yourself, well, how do we recognize intelligence? And it turns out that the way that we recognize intelligence is by what I called a purposeful arrangement of parts. And that's when different parts are put up in relationship to each other, where you can see that they have a purpose. That is, the arrangement has a purpose. An easy example are letters in a word, you know, people put the letters in to form a word, words to make a sentence and so on. And not only is this arrangement, uh, this can't be put together gradually, but we immediately see that the arrangement of these parts has a purpose. And so we immediately grasp the intelligence that was needed to produce something like this. And again, I can't emphasize enough that Darwin didn't know anything about the foundation of life. He and his contemporaries thought that the cell was a little piece of jello, protoplasm, they'd call it. And it was mysterious, you know, did cool stuff, but they didn't know how, so they pretty much ignored it. But uh, modern science has shown that it's, the cell is a lot like a ultra-sophisticated nanoscale factory far, far beyond anything that humans could produce. And again, they're, they're just chock full of machinery that are, is much more sophisticated than this simple little mousetrap. So, um, so not only have I become skeptical of Darwin, but you, know, uh, you can readily see the design in life. So uh, I've argued that, that uh, many of these machines were purposefully designed. But what I think we're starting to see it as is a natural extension of life. Um, it, it, it's just the nature of things that physical, mm, uh, mechanical types of instruments 
sooner or later break down. And that's what the body is. Um, and, and so we realize that all bodies eventually give out either from sickness or just wear out, just like anything else does, whether it be a car, TV, or anything. But the person, the what we have realized, the photon that operates that body doesn't give out. And, and so now we realize that what we're talking about here is the death of a body, but not a person. Now, that kind of a beautiful picture doesn't take the fear out of dying or, or, or the upsetment about it because of the separation. But it does start to get us to a mature point where as adults we realize, hey, we're not talking about a heaven here. We're not talking about a hell here. We're talking about another chapter in normal life that we have led before and we're living now. And, and it tries to explain to us, it's just like you know, the leaves fall off the trees and then they come back and we fall off the earth and then we come back. But there's a difference here and we have to start thinking in, in whole different ways. Uh, we have to stop this obsession with you know, dead bodies and cemeteries and funeral parlors and start to think that, wait a minute, this is a person in an invisible form that left the body that could no longer sustain it. So now we have to direct our attention not to that body, which is broken and taken to the junkyard, but to that person which left the body. The, the unfortunate thing about all of this is that the overwhelming majority of people cannot possibly deal with this because of the fact that their minds have been broken by the threats and the fears of religion. Even for, as a little kid, I mean, we're told you're going to go to hell, a devil's going to get you. And all of these horrible things that we have had built into our minds literally to scare us into submission, to submit to the cult, to the group, to the religion. And here's the problem. If you cannot abandon religion, you will never learn the truth. Never learn the truth. You will never make contact with your deceased loved ones and those who are trying to make contact with you when you previously died, you'll never know them because you'll never understand the complexities of the invisible photon spirit world, if you want to call it that. You'll never, ever know. You must abandon all concepts of religious thought. There's no other way. What you have to do is make a choice. You make a choice. And you, you set the people on two sides of a stage. And you say, who will I believe about this? And you set the pastors and the priests and the preachers and the rabbis on one side. And then you set the scientists and the physicists, etc., on the other side. And, and take your choice. Who knows 
Who can tell you about the subatomic quantum reality of life? The pastors and the priests and the ministers or the physicists and the scientists. And it's obvious. But most people, just about everybody, doesn't even know who those physicists and scientists are. Because in my opinion, the physicists and the scientists are the real pastors. Why? Because what they do is tell you all about creation, all about the universe, all about you and how you operate and how you interact. And the guys in the robes on the other end of the stage have no clue. But who do we listen to? The guys in the robes on the other side of the stage. So the first thing, and we've sh shown this before, <coughs> but it's a perfect, I think, slide to kind of show us what reality and what life really is. Okay, here as we look at this, yeah. Oh, uh, those are the these are the <laughs> these are the points that we we, we yeah. Can you go back? Is there one? Be uh, no, no, you can't go back. No, all right, just, just stay with it. Go ahead, go ahead, John. All right, to totally disregard religion uh, is the one thing that we have to do. We have to approach the subject scientifically, and we have to listen to the physicists and the scientists if we're going to make a decision. We have to take the statements of witnesses seriously. If somebody said they had a vision, then we want to sit down and say, you know, what did you see? What did it look like? Who was it? Um, I would love, and I don't think it's allowable, but I would love to go into nursing homes and, and sit down with people who have dementia and talk to them about the people they talk to. What did they look like? What did they say? Did they give you a name? Did they say, you know, because we, we just, all we do with these people is uh, disregard them and, and, and give them shots and drugs and keep them quiet and so forth. So we have to take witnesses seriously. And then the last thing is that we, we have to do research on opinions on the subject of, of dying and out-of-body experiences and near-death and that kind of stuff. So let, let me, let's see if I can get to the, to the right point now. And, and, and this is what we've seen many times. But it, it, it's, 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 it's an important point. At the very top left-hand corner, you'll see a fetus, and you'll see the photon which enters the fetus on the 49th day. Becomes kind of a living being. Next you see the fetus gives way and becomes a baby, and the photon now is in the baby's body. Can't do much with that, but it's there. Then it becomes a child, and the photon is able to use the body to do a little thing, play games, and start to learn things, and so forth. Then as we go up to the top, it becomes a teenager, and the photon then has a lot more that it can do as a teenager. Then it becomes an adult, and uh, now the, the photon has access to all kinds of things. Then it becomes an elderly person all the way over at the right. Things are starting to run downhill a little bit. And the very bottom is the death look. And the photon says to the lady laying here, lady, I'm out of here. And the body dies. 
and the fall. But the point here is, though the physical has gone from the fetus to the old person dying, the photon has stayed the same. The photon never got sick, never aged, never died, stayed the same from one part to the end. It just operated a different piece of equipment. It's no different than when you have that beautiful new car and you got the new car smell and then at the very end you got the old car smell and I, I, I got to get rid of this thing. It's the same thing. So it's not the body that you wish to communicate with or you have to think about, although that's the natural thing. If I think of my mother or father or my sister or my brothers who have all passed on, I think of them as physical beings. So I, I perceive, I, I, I create something in my mind of what they look like. But see, that is not the way that we're going to start to understand how to communicate with them because we don't even look the way we look to one another. These are bodies. But I mean, inside, with photon. So we want to create a, a, a way that we communicate with those loved ones, if you would, photon to photon, not photon to body. Okay? And, and you know, the important thing is, as we saw on that slide a moment ago, that when the body died, the photon was just as vibrant as it was when it entered the fetus, so death doesn't exist. See? Because a photon cannot die. Even if it is destroyed in a laboratory, it recreates itself. It pops up. So what are we talking about? What is so foolish about this is we who cannot possibly die as photon, are totally consumed with the destruction of bodies that do that because we've been brought up that way. That's the way we've been brought up. You know, we have been taught that a person dies when the body dies. We've never been taught that that's not true, that it's just the body that dies. So given what we have studied through science and given what it says in the Bible, it's impossible for God, whatever that is, to be anything but photon. Because the Bible, which has a basis in Greek science, says God is not human. God is light. And so God has to be photon. And Jesus, the Son of God, has to be photon. We were created in the image and likeness of God, has to be photon. So this is what this all is. So where else can we start? I mean, we, we, have, to, we have to start somewhere, and I have to have some kind of justification for where I start, because I'm talking to people, and I know there are people that watch this who are Christians, born-again Christians, they don't tell anybody that they would want, but they do. Because you know what? Even though you won't tell your friends that you've ever turned this on, you turn it on because it makes sense. And after all these years of nonsense, this makes sense. So if we use the Bible and we use science, how can anybody challenge that? You know, something that is not human but is light 
is photon. And no, no argument is possible because that's the way it is. So here we are, the ones that can't die, talking about what happens after we die. What we have to be considering is where do we go? I haven't found that yet, but I will find those rascals where they are. I haven't found it yet, but this is what I'm looking for. Where are they? And, and you know the amazing thing is what we talked about last week? Is that we have died before. And now we're here. And yet there are people who are looking at pictures of us saying, I miss her, I miss him so. And the little kids saying, is Uncle Steve up in heaven? <laughs> no, Steve's in Fork and River. <laughs> Folks, it's true. All those people that are crying over his picture and miss him so much, if they only knew he was sitting in the second row looking at me. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this is... But you see, we, we remember the people that have died and left us. But we don't remember the people that we have died and left. And there's a reason for that, and it's covered in the mythology, as I said last week, of Sharon, the boatman who takes you across the river Styx, and when you get to Elysium, they say, do you want to go on to another adventure? Oh, yes. Well, if you do, you have to drink from the water of Leth, the river of Leth, L-E-T-H-E, and when you drink it, you forget. You have to forget. Can you imagine if you came each life remembering all the others, you'd go nuts. You go completely nuts. What do you mean I can't have that job? Well, in my last life, I was superintendent of it. Get out of here. So these are all of the exciting, amazing, and fun things to look forward to and to be involved in and to be challenged to find. Operating on a photon level to find those who have left us and bring back the memories of those we have left. Oh, and, and listen, if you're going to leave religion, which you should do, and start thinking, there are stories that you can read of. Um, there's one of a, of a child, uh, this is making the rounds now, who remembers being in an air, a fighter plane in the Second World War and being shot down by the Japanese, and he remembers the name of the guy who was in the plane next to him, and he remembers what kind of plane it was, and he remembers that when the planes used to land, the Corsairs, they had a lot of trouble with the tires, and this kid never knew. I mean, it's impossible not to know that. And then there's the kid over in Scotland who remembered that, where his house was in his previous life, and he knew his mother's name, and, his, where, and then they took him uh, and Dr. Jim Tucker of the University of Virginia took him to this island in Scotland and they found the, uh, there was a white house there and they asked the people that had the tax records and they said to the kid, well, do you remember your name when you were? And he said, Robertson. And the lady looked, she said, well, there is a white house. It's empty now, but there were people in there by the name of Robertson. How could that be? You, there's this little Spanish kid that picked up a guitar and he plays this thing like a master. Um, a master. And then this other little kid, he's about two feet high, and he picked up a trumpet and you think it was Al Hurt. 
How is that possible? If they didn't live before. Of course people lived before. You lived before. But we are, we're forced to believe all this lunacy by religious people that won't accept the very things that are so beautiful and the very things that the Bible supports. Well, yeah, the female astronaut who, who remembered that she was in this spaceship that, you know, crashed when it was coming through the atmosphere and uh, she was from India and all this stuff. But, but you see, we don't even think about it. When we hear about it, we laugh about stuff like that because we're raised by the rogue wizards. Please. If we're going to meet together and we're, if we're going to explore the subject of death and realize it doesn't exist and then talk about our previous lives and talk about... I mean, I, I was reading the other day and you remember this guy, Weiss? Brian, Brian Weiss? He said he had a, a woman was brought to him who could only speak Chinese. Or she could say, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, whatever. And they were doing a past life regression on her, and he had a Chinese interpreter there so that he could tell her what he wanted to do, and the Chinese interpreter would tell her in Chinese, taking her back. And when he took her back, finally, she started talking in English. What are you going to tell me? You're going to tell me this Brian Weiss is a liar too? And only Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson tell the truth? Stop! Okay. But when we get to understand the photon, then we'll lose this fear of death and we'll start to look forward to the reality of reuniting with the photon lives that have been a part of us. We have been deceived by religion into thinking that we are physical bodies instead of understanding that we use physical bodies. We've gone through so much study here concerning photons and the subatomic. We should be able to grasp the truth concerning death instead of dwelling on it. We know that we came from somewhere when our last body died. Now think about this. You're wondering where someone you loved that died went. Those others were wondering when you died where you went. And where did you went? You went here. Fork and River, New Jersey. You didn't go to heaven. You didn't go to hell. You went to Fork and River. So you see what I'm saying to you? So where's everybody else? Where's your husband that died? Where's your wife that died? Where's your uncle that died? Were they in Pittsburgh? Or maybe they're in Hong Kong? Or maybe they're in Borneo or Australia? Who knows? But if you're here... Why aren't they there or here or wherever? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? It's so simple if we start accepting and understanding it and stop believing the robed wizards and start believing those people of science who are sharing the realities of this thing. 
Yeah, I've had cars going back to the 1950s. But except for the one I have now, the old die, but I'm still here. So we've had bodies going back to infinity, and they all died, but you're still here. And the only reason you're, you don't understand this stuff is because your mind was given over to this lunacy that came out of the dark ages of Europe. So what's reality? What is reality concerning us, and who are the witnesses who have instructed us? Okay, let's take a look. Professor Max Tegmark, Massachusetts Institute, David Deutsch, Oxford University, Paul Steinhardt, Princeton, showed us that parallel universes exist and that there are copies of us living in those parallel universes. Now, you can turn them down and turn to the priests and the ministers, uh, or you can say, no, I want to I I talk to these guys. That's what I've chosen to do. The Bible told us that God, Jesus, and we are light, which means we're photons. The Bible writers had access to Greek scientific thoughts, which included the subatomic. So that's a witness. NASA and physicist John Kramer told us that when electrons become excited, they send out photons to the past and the future and also absorb photons. And we learned about photons uh, from them. Okay? We'll go to the next slide. We learned that entangled photons are one both when they are entangled and disentangled. I want to come back here for a minute. I just want, do you, you know what this means? Do you know what this means? This means that you have photon. Here's one photon. Okay? Now, and they're off on opposite ends of the infinity, and they're one. They're not two. They're still one. That's quantum. That's the new physics that was so challenging to um, Albert Einstein. We'll come back here. We learned for entangled photons to bring a third photon into the entanglement, one entangled photon must sacrifice its properties and take on the properties of the third one. This explained the sacrifice of Jesus to save us. Now we'll come back here. For, well, you see what I mean? Here is God. Here is Jesus, and they're entangled. They're one. But they're looking around and they say, Whoa, there's Paul. What are we going to do with him? And there's Joan and Steve. We've got to get these people because we want them up here. We want them part of us. What has to happen is the entanglement has to end. The Jesus photon has to come down, enter into our photon, give itself up, take on our properties, and then go back into the entanglement with the God photon, the sacrifice of the Jesus photon, makes, for God's sakes, it explains the whole damn thing. The whole thing is explained, and it makes sense, and we understand what it was all about. Wow. To me, uh, to me that's, uh, that is good stuff. Okay. We learn in the next one, we learned that when entangled photons separate, they are still one. So Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, and when you have seen me, you have seen the Father, and I pray they all may be one, as you and I are one, it makes sense. 
Because even though they're separated, one's in heaven, one's on the earth, they're still one. And then it says we learn that excited electrons send photons not only to the future but to the past. So we should be able to communicate not only with those who left us and who have died here, but those that we left when we died someplace else. Okay? All right. So there is a thumbnail sketch of what we have been able to develop so far, which brings forth initial reference uh, to photon from the Bible and then allows us to present photon uh, from science and from uh, physicists. Now, there was another important part that we did learn, and I, and I do want to uh, add it to our summary before we close the summary out. Let's go back to the slide. We learned that the retinas of your eyes pick up photon signals from physical objects. That's how you see. And then have them deciphered by the brain, which translates them into images. That's how you see things, okay? But then we learned that the pineal gland picks up photon signals from non-physical objects and sends the information to the retinas, which then has the single signals deciphered, giving us an illusion of seeing someone who is physically not there. You want to come back here. Here's the story. Here's the deal there. You go in, like you said, into a nursing home, and you see somebody, and they're talking to somebody, and there's nobody there. But you see, their change in the brain as they get elderly or whatever, and getting ready to transfer over, their change allows them to pick up that photon through the pineal, which is then dispatched to the retina of the eye, giving them the illusion of seeing something. They're actually seeing something that you and I can't see. But there's an explanation for it, a scientific quantum explanation for it. Now here's something else, and so we'll go to the next slide, that Jesus said, and let's take a look at it. Jesus said, if your eye be single, your body will fill with light. Well, to confirm that, we learned that melatonin, secreted by the pineal in the dark, distributes photon light throughout the body. That confirms the scripture above and confirms the need for meditation in darkness. And that's why we do have meditation in the darkness. Uh, so there's in, two important items here. The pineal does distribute light throughout the body, as Jesus said. And then it is essential that your meditation be in the dark. Because unless you're in the dark, you're not going to have that melatonin flowing. Okay? So the next obvious and justifiable question would be, okay, these issues are okay for photons, but how can we confirm what the Bible says, that we are photons? When the question of death arises, then our fear is built around our fear of losing ourself, our consciousness, me, you know? I mean... When we're alone, that's all we are involved in is me inside of here. Feeling of self. And you know what Rene Descartes said? Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. In other words, there is an I. And think of this inside of yourself. There is an I which is you beyond the body because the body cannot think. Huh? No, your body cannot think. You think. 
Therefore, you are, I am. It can only act out the program that you program into it, your body. So the thinker isn't the body. The thinker is the photon, which means I am photon because I think. Now, if we can do that, if we can determine that consciousness is photon, then we can realize what we truly are and move on beyond the question of death looking for those we remember without regard to looking for their bodies. We're looking for their self. We're looking for their I. Can we take away the name we gave them? They don't have that name anymore. Can we take away their physical appearance? They don't have that physical appearance anymore. And even, even like you, you've got a name. Who gave you that name? They probably flipped the coin. One said, I want to call him Steve. The other said, no, I want it to be Jerome. Ah, flip that coin. Ah, Steve won. Heads or tail. That's what happens. A lot of you are here by mistake. Your father wound up meeting your mother, and they got all involved, and all things got hot. Oh, I didn't want this to happen, Gloria. Well, I know, neither did I. How are we going to explain this? I don't know. Jesus, I mean, we better get married early. And here you are. A big mistake. <laughs> so it is. It's not your name. It's not what you look like. And sometimes you look at your nose, you say, geez, I wish it wasn't like that, but that's the way the old man was. <laughs> See, if we can close in and wear and what these friends of ours, these loved ones of ours, they can still call me Bill because I, I still am Bill, but we have a problem calling them by name. But, you know, we do that. But we got to, we'll start, I'll show you how, we'll start to rise above that into that photon. And then you got to remember something. I want you to raise your hands. Who in this room can remember the family you were with before you came into this life? Nobody. So now you've got your loved one in another place and somebody asking him or her, can you remember your past life? I don't know. You see? So how then can we get through to them if they can't remember us? How can those who are trying to get through to us if we can't remember them? But there are those that do remember. How come? Has the little kid remember flying that plane? You know? Has the kid remember to pick up the trumpet? Has the girl remember being the astronaut? There are those. So it's not cut and dry. So having studied all of this material, I found myself backed into a corner where I had to declare myself. I could no longer hide from the truth that I know within me. So I will declare myself. And, and I am a very difficult person to say all of this stuff because I have told you forever, don't believe anything. But I want to declare myself. Okay? These are my beliefs. I believe we are photons and exist eternally even after our physical body dies. I believe out-of-body experiences are real. I believe near-death experiences 
are real. I believe UFOs are real and are operated by beings from another dimension. Not only that, I saw one. Right over my head, about 500 feet. A big triangular thing. After it was done with me, it moved south and didn't make a noise, and nobody else ever said they saw it. I believe crop circles are created by beings from another dimension. Even if somebody with a board went out there and made them, somehow their minds were instructed what to make. Next one. I believe that it is possible to communicate with those who have physically passed on, and we will be doing that. I believe people with dementia are in contact with real beings from another dimension. I believe that dreams are real experiences in parallel universes. And I believe all of these things are perfectly natural and normal. And there's nothing supernatural because there's no need for that. And I believe religion is a fraud. I had to just sneak that in. <laughs> I've always taken the position to believe nothing, but based on the studies from credible scientists and my meditations as well, this is what I believe. But you choose for yourself. You don't have to believe anything. And how can you? But I mean, somewhere you, you have to take, I mean, if you're going to sit down with an electrician and he's going to tell you how he's going to install the light and how he's going to make it light, you either believe him or you say you'll do it yourself and you know you don't know how to do it. So because of his skills and his ability and the documentation he provides as to how he's going to do this, you believe him. This is what it comes from. Scientists document. Scientists show proof. Scientists show scientific evidence. Uh, 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 I forget the, what I'm looking for. Physics types of diagrams and things. You know, it just shows nothing. I mean, science tells you Adam and Eve was nuclear fission, and by taking the ion out of an atom, uh, uh, taking the electron out of an atom, you made a, posi uh, a positive ion, and putting it in another one, you made a negative ion, and it was an ionic bond, and, and it brought forth uh, uh, positive and negative male and female. That's what the scientists say. And the preacher said what? God took a rib out of a woman and made the woman out of spare ribs. And you know what? We don't believe the scientists about quantum. We believe in ladies are spare ribs. <laughs> so my search here is not to find the dead, but to locate the photons that occupied the bodies that I knew in the three-dimensional. And I know that I have to search in the quantum subatomic realm. And I have to depend uh, on my three-dimensional brain to correctly decipher what I pick up and relay it through my eyes. Now, once I'm out of the body, once you're out of the body, you don't need that because you, you, you know everything. You know everything from the past. You know everything from the future. How do I know that? Because photons do. Photons know everything that's ever going to happen in the future. They know everything that ever happened in the past. And as soon as you leave your body, you will know but once you get inside of this thing, you're shut right down. So when we think of the enormity of this, try to grasp the fact. Try to grasp that fact. A photon knew 10,000 years ago 
that two people were going to come together, have sex, the woman was going to get pregnant, and that photon was going to come, nestle, nestle in that fetus, and it was you. <clears throat> I knew it thousands of years ago. Before there was ever, even the United States was founded, let alone had your mother and father be born. We say, well, a minute. how could that be possible? How could a photon know in advance that if it was going to come and be in the fetus? I mean, how would it know in advance? Because it's God. That's what the Bible said. It's God. That's what God is. Right? All parts, all photonic parts of the great central photon, universal photon. When we were last here, I guess, we focused on scientific evaluations of out-of-body experiences, and we discussed the work of Olaf Blanc of Switzerland. And this is Olaf. He found that electrically stimulating one brain region, the right angular gyrus, repeatedly triggered out-of-body experiences. And Blanc and his team were using electrodes to excite the brain of a woman being treated for epilepsy. And every time they would touch, they'd say, okay, 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 okay. That's right, that's right. I'm on the ceiling. What do you mean you're on the ceiling? I'm looking down at you. Okay, I'm back down, okay, I'm back down, I'm back down. Okay, yeah, I'm on the ceiling. Every time they touched the right angular gyrus with the electrode, she was on the ceiling. Now, was she really on the ceiling? No. She was lying on the table. So who was on the ceiling? The photon person was on the ceiling. Now, what am I going to do? Say, so this guy's full of baloney too, and so i gotta, I got to uh, believe Father McFeely and, and not uh, believe him? No. Of course not. Of course not. But you, you'll find uh, a million uh, people who know about Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson or all these crazy people. But you know, who knows all off block? Nobody. But he's the only one that can prove about an out-of-body experience and how it happens. Yet you go up to your person and say, Chris, say, out-of-body. Oh, I don't believe in that stuff. And yet the very Bible that they kiss and they put on Grandma's piano says, I would rather be... <laughs> what is it? To be present with the Lord. To be absent. absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Thank you, Al. Uh, see, Al's a very good body. Yeah, I, do I just dropped off the wall there. I went to photon land. That was great. <laughs> you just drop right off the wall, you know? The, the whole thing is now. To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, you, you take a look at this next, and you say, well, look at this. This, oh, this is, who is up on the ceiling? And this is what the point is. It wasn't her brain or her eyes or her head. They were all on the table. So the only rational explanation would be it was the photon. The photon that abandoned the body upon getting the electric signal. See? When your body is getting ready to die, it's going to ship an electric signal to the right angular gyrus, and a door like it's in the Walmart's going to open up, and you say, I'm out of here. That's what it does. 
And that's what they found, see? So this then would indicate that the photon self, the person receives a signal from the right angular gyrus to leave the body at the time of major failure. And the photon, which knows everything, is then outside the body, free from the attachment because of the major failure. So we know that the signal, in this particular case, was a false alarm because as soon as they took... You see, get this. He takes the probe, touches the right angular gyrus, she's on the ceiling. Now, if this was a real death thing, she'd be on the ceiling and then off she'd go. But in this particular case, it wasn't. It was a false alarm. So as soon as the electricity was removed from the right angular gyrus, she's back into the vital body. The body is still vital. So, so the important point here is that we have professional witnesses to this, even in the person of neurologists like Olaf Blanc, whose video we watched a couple of weeks ago. Now, given the fact that we understand the photon to be intelligent and the photon knows all things, we had an interesting study brought to us by physicist Penn Van Lommel. He's from Eastern Europe somewhere. And he told us about a curious situation of a man who came into the hospital who had a, um, uh, some kind of a, an attack, a cardiac arrest, and he was in a coma, okay? And so when they brought the man into the, to the hospital, he was completely comatose. And, and while he was there, they, they took his plate, teeth out, so he wouldn't swallow them. And then when they brought him finally back about, you know, a week later, so it was about 10 days before he regained full consciousness, everybody was looking for his dentures. And nobody knew where the heck was his dentures. And so this nurse walks in, and he said, you took them. She said, what are you talking about? You took the dentures out of my mouth, and you put them on that little cart, and on that cart there's a little drawer under it, and you put them in there. And, and, and she said, oh, my God. And this man was totally comatose, was brain dead, and saw this. See? And so this is what we have to take, and we have to take it seriously. So if we're going to learn about physical death and what happens and what happened to our loved ones, we have to be prepared to accept these things from, from witnesses, professional witnesses. The photon knows everything. There is no more glaring description of how the photon knows everything than from the work of the noted physicist John Kramer. We've gone over this, but you should go over this again and again and again so you really know we're dealing when you talk about dealing with photons you're dealing with a person a photon is a person look John Kramer every particle that wants to give up a photon looks deep into the future to find another particle that will accept the photon these elementary particles know the layout of the future when a deal is negotiated, the first particle lets the photon fly off on its path knowing full well where the other particle that accepts the photon will be when it finally gets there. Just think of that. Here's the photon up here. And there are you on the other side of the universe. And it has to get to you. So at least 10,000 years ago, 
and it's ready because the deal was already worked out that you were going to be there on July 10th 2009 at 9 o'clock and it shows up at July 10th 2000 and there you are and you say oh how is that possible because it's God and it knows all things now for the first time in your life you understand how God knows all things because photons know all things and then uh, in this next slide Kramer goes on and he tells us so go out and look at a nearby star say Sirius if you're in the northern hemisphere Sirius is 10 or so light years away. Now listen to what he says. The photons that hit your eye knew that at the time they left the star 10 years ago that they would hit electrons in your retina. And if you go back in, the other photons coming knew that they would hit the sidewalk. These deals were negotiated 10 years ago with particles in a star 10 light years away long before you ever thought to look at the star. Do you see what I mean? That means 10 years from now, you're going to look at a star. And that photon is leaving that star right now, so it's here when you look. See, I want you to think, when we think we know everything, we don't know anything about the magnificent majesty of, of what really this is all about. And now look, we're finding that all these things have explanations in this subatomic realm, in this quantum realm. They all have explanations. There's no hocus-pocus. There's no need of faith or anything like that. Let me take a, take a look at this. Ten, year, ten light years away. How, how far did that light, that photon, have to come to touch the retina of your eye tonight at 9 o'clock? Let's look. One light year is 5.88 trillion miles. Ten light years is 58.8 trillion miles. So traveling at 186,400 miles per second, the photon takes 10 years. So 10 years ago, the photon knew you were going to look at it tonight at 9 o'clock, and it has to be here. So you better show up. You better go out there and look. That'll be a hell of a thing. Why not I think drive awesome? <laughs> By grasping this, you're getting a better understanding of what this entity we call God really is. How awesome when you consider that what you're reading is provable science that's proving God. You don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but Photon left the station 10 years ago to travel 58.8 million miles to meet you tonight. That's what God is. So it's all built on our perception. Everything is instant, really. There's a, there is a scripture that is very clear about the nature of, of living being, the nature that cannot die. After the crucifixion story, remember that? We heard, uh, we find Jesus' uh, disciples coming to the grave where Jesus' body was interred. And the body wasn't there, but there was a couple of angels there saying they were hanging around. And the angels in this mythology talk to these people coming to the cemetery. Same thing when you go to the cemetery to visit somebody. And look what, the, look what the angel says. They were afraid, bowed down their faces, and the angel said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you there looking for somebody who is alive over here and you're staring down at a dead body in the ground.
we go to graveyards, we go to funeral parlors, we'd be better off going to a seance. Let me repeat it. We'd be better off going to a seance and looking for the photon. But we do, why do we do this? Because we don't know what else to do, because the pastors have told us we should. Religion has cut us off from any possible contact with the departed by classifying it as it's demonic if you try to get in touch with the dead. You stupid fool, there is no such thing as a dead person. Arthur Young is a noted physicist and author, and he speaks of the photon, and he identifies it, and he identifies its purpose. And this is Arthur Young. Arthur Young, uh, born in 1905, died in 19 was an American inventor, a helicopter pioneer, a cosmologist, philosopher. He was the designer of Bell Helicopters' first helicopter of the Model 30, an inventor of the stabilizer barge used on many of Bell's early helicopter designs, and he founded the Institute for Consciousness in Berkeley in 1972, and he's authored many books. Christian De Quincey talked about um, uh, Arthur Young, and I, and I wanted just to go over a couple of these things with you about Arthur Young, and this is what Arthur Young said. Arthur Young's theory of process starts with consciousness or spirit as the primary reality. Young does not derive the quantum from consciousness. For Young, the quantum is consciousness. Spirit is the quantum of action. <coughs> Read that again. Quantum is consciousness. In Young's cosmology, the ultimate constituent of reality is what? The photon. The quantum of light the quantum of action. In other words, Jung equates the light of the physicist and the light of the mystic. I love this. The physicist's photon is the mystic's divine light. Eh? The physicist's photon is the mystic's divine light. What you're reading about is, I saw the light, I saw the light, hallelujah, Jesus, I saw... No, no, I saw the photon. The photon has touched me. You see? Now, let's go on to, to what else he said. Jung also points out that the photon is beyond time and space. It is beyond time because the photon always travels at the speed of light, and at that speed, time ceases to exist. It is beyond space because a single photon can traverse the entire universe without losing any energy. In other words, it experiences no distance or space between the start and the end of its journey. And this complements John Kramer's presentation that the photon from a star knows when you're going to look at it. And it must travel to be where you are because it's all instant. And De Quincey says this, for other reasons, Jung says the photon is the most unusual entity studied by physics. Not only does it transcend time and space, it has no mass. As Jung describes it as pure action, creative and personal, completely free in all dimensions. And this, he says, is as good a definition of spirit as science could hope for. So you see, when you're talking about the Holy Spirit and all this stuff, you're talking about the Holy Photon. And then look what De Quincey says that young. And uh, he arrives at the equation of photon equals consciousness by a very straightforward extension of normal physics. That standard physics, based on the parameters of mass, length, and time, has consistently overlooked the fourth parameter. And this is what it is. 
the formula for drive, deriving control, and control implies See, don't, don't let this get away from you to where you think, oh, this is too confusing. You control everything you do. You control the fact that you were here tonight. You control the fact you're going to get in your car. You control the fact that which way, that's consciousness. And what, 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 what Young is saying is, that's photons, see? It's a matter of asking an obvious question. What is the third derivative? The first derivative is velocity, the second is acceleration, and that's where physics stops. But by taking the next clearly logical step, physics opens up to include control, and therefore choice, and therefore consciousness, and that's where Arthur Young proves that photon is conscious. Photon is you. I have just have a few minutes here. But I wanted to touch on this because last week we discussed the commentary on a recent crop circle from England. And a, and a physicist and another scientist looked at the crop formation and arrived at a conclusion relative to July 7th. They came to the conclusion that uh, these formations were spelling out a corona mass uh, ejection from the sun which would hit the earth with negative electromagnetic power. Do you want me to tell you something? Do you want me to tell you something? Do you know what the Earth is doing right now? Yeah, it's creating another ocean. It's opening like you would tear the seam of a shirt. And the scientists right now are not saying much to people, but they're thinking, if the corona's ejection that is number 24, which is supposed to be so powerful leading up to 2012. It's as powerful as they are concerned it could be. The rip could be something that could cause the oceans to rise to the point that the entire African continent would disappear. I mean, we go along in our daily Walmart life with no concept of what the hell is really going on here. But anyhow, by July 7th, we showed you last week, NASA had predicted the solar storms uh, leading up to the period of uh, 2012. And, and then, uh, in this particular thing here, we'll show you this uh, crop circle, and it said, based on the previous examples from 204 to 209, we can be pretty sure the crop formation intelligence use of the teardrop single represents a coronal mass ejection from the sun. Why then would they have drawn the planet Earth in the form of a large teardrop unless several coronal mass injections will impact the Earth very soon? And then in the next slide, it said jellyfish or distorted Earth's magnetic field swept by strong solar one after coronal mass injection from sun lines up with the sunset on July 7, 2009. Now, July 7th, 2009, came and went. Everybody here seemed to have survived very well, which is good. But there's an organization, well, it's not an organization, it's an observatory. And the observatory is called the, uh, let me see if I can find it, the Solar and Heliospheric Observatory, which observes the sun activity and communicates to NASA. Well, inasmuch as nothing happened on July 7th, this is the report that came from SOHO. 
and it says, July 7, 2009, SOHO reporting second large solar flare. Is this sudden solar intensity what the crop formation intelligence has forecast since April 14th after the sun's unusually long spotless quiet? Now, let me, let me, let me change something here. July 7th, SOHO reported the second large solar flare. Below that was the Earth file commentary. Uh, SOHO did not make that commentary below about the solar flare, but they did report a solar flare on July 7th. And then in the next thing we have about spaceweather.com reports sunset 1024 has cracked with B and C clear solar flares. Solar observers haven't seen an active region like this one in more than two years. It is big, complex, and rapidly growing. The magnetic polarity of the sunspot revealed by SOHO magnograms show that it is a member of the new solar cycle 24. So if the crop formation was pointing to solar eruptions, and if, as you see, there was the beginning of solar eruptions on July 7th, as predicted by those who evaluated the formations, and if this is in harmony with what NASA said about solar eruptions being significant up through 2012, then we are facing the reality of a higher intelligence communicating with us about 2012 and would substantially support the previous information that we provided to you through Apocalypse Town right up through Jesus. You know, I'll tell you something as we wrap this. We, we have a, a tendency to get a bit bored when things don't happen in spectacular enough fashion. You know, because when somebody says July 7th, and then you had July 7th and nothing happens. Ah, why, you know, that proved... But something did happen. But even if nothing happened, you've sat in church all of your life, and what the hell has ever happened? They're still singing the same songs. They're reading the same stories. I, as a kid, I used to see them on the street corners in Newark at Broad Market Street saying... Jesus is coming, prepare the way for the Lord. What the hell? Nobody ever says anything about these people. So you ever want to deprive a person, if a person evaluates something and says, oh, this looks like July 7th, <coughs> July 7th, come. Well, NASA said they expected the supernova 1987A uh, to explode in, in, in 2005. It never did. But you know what? That doesn't mean they were wrong. It just means that they missed the mark on the, on the prediction, but it's going to explode. Whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, or whenever it is. I'm going to show you next time some very, very interesting things about um, the book of Revelation as far as... This is some, it's one interesting thing. Um, Oscar Guido was here last week. And, and he wrote me, and he said, you know, there's references in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, to the number 1260. And he said, if that crop circle specified July 7th, and the July 7th flare left the sun, as now we prove that it did, from July 7th, to December 21st, 2012, is 1,260 days. Exactly. 
And I wrote it back and I said, yes, 1,260 days. And there's two references also to things that are going to happen in 40 and two months. And from July 7th, 2009 to December the 21st, 2012 is exactly 40 and two months. I'm going to show you some of those things uh, that uh, I'm, I'm going to let you get a real good look inside behind the book of Revelation. Not in a lot of whiz bang stuff, because what, what, tell you what people make a lot of mistakes with um, the book of Revelation. There is, uh, most of the book of Revelation is written in such a way as to deceive people who are looking for purposes to suit their own needs. And so there's all kinds of crazy stuff which people pay a lot of attention to. You know, the serpent with ten heads, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. Oh, ten folks, ten heads? I mean, the ten European confederates. Stop. I don't mean any of that. All of this stuff is there to cover, to cover what is being taught. And I'll tell you what the book of Revelation talks about. At a higher level, at illuminated levels of Freemasonry, which are above 32nd degree, they will give you what the real meaning of the G inside the compasses and square is. I'm no longer an occultist. I'm a de-occultist. I'm attempting to take this information out of hiding. It's been hidden. The hiding of it is destroying the fabric of our society and putting us into bondage. It needs to come out and be non-hidden needs to be unveiled and shared widely and freely with anybody who's capable of accepting it and comprehending it now. That's what the New Age community is designed to do. There is a, a moral obligation to bring this information to the public now. This next section is what I call the lost principle. This is the eighth principle of natural law, which binds all of the other principles together. It is what I would call the encapsulating principle. Okay? It's the container inside which all the other principles fit very nicely and neatly. You hear very few other researchers, even people who are studying this from the occult perspective, who are studying this from the consequentialism perspective, you very hear them incorporate the eighth an all-encompassing principle. This pattern is called something. Does anybody know what this pattern is called? The seed of life. Now, what happens from a seed? It grows. It generates something. It creates something. A seed has an outer casing, an outer shell. Then if you're gonna to get to the inner core of it that contains all of the creative, genetic, generative material, okay, that shell has to be there and intact. You break the shell of the seed, the creative essence of the seed is gonna be gone. Now, what is that principle? Here's what that principle is. It's the eighth or what I call the lost principle. And it's the thing that has to be present in order for any change to manifest itself. And it is not what most people think of it as. Even when I tell you what this is, I guarantee you there will be a an inaccurate connotative meaning for what people think this means, okay? Here's what the eighth principle is. It is known as the generative principle or the principle which governs creation, which actually is the causal factor that goes into effect and generates the result that we say that we want. But what's the real term for it? Who can guess what the actual term 
what the generative principle of creation actually is. The generative principle is care. Now, this is different than compassion. People say, why don't you use the word compassion? Because that's not what I'm talking about. It is a different concept than compassion or even what I would describe as love. This means what are you giving attention and helping to grow? What are you focusing upon? Because what focus you're focusing upon, that's what's ultimately getting generated, getting created and growing. And this doesn't mean be ignorant of what's going on in the world and don't look at anything that's negative because you're gonna feed that and give power to it. That's not what it means. That means you know what you're feeding? In that instance, if you wanna do that, you're feeding ignorance. And that's what's gonna grow. It's the exact opposite that the New Agers want you to believe that it is. By ignoring the negative, you are ensuring that more of it occurs. You are fueling it by ignorance, ensuring that it grows and takes over. What care has to be looked at here as is, this is what you're giving your energy to. This is what you're focused upon. This is what you actually care enough about to do, to spend your time on, to put your attention on, to manifest in the world. That's what I'm talking about as care. That's what generates our experience in the aggregate. Most people don't care about what's really happening. Therefore, it is an impossibility for us in the aggregate to change the direction of energy, to change the direction of consciousness, and ultimately to get what we say we want. That's how the real law of attraction works. Here's how it actually operates. The lost principle is the dynamic of care. What we care about on a day-to-day -day basis acts as the driving force of our thoughts and actions. What did I say we need to develop? The heart, mind, guts, right? Heart, mind, guts, in that order. Care comes first. You gotta care enough to know, to develop the knowledge, okay? Then you gotta act on it and put it into practice. Apply it. So that's the order. Heart, mind, guts. Care, knowledge, action. Those are the steps. And all three of those have to be in place. All three. That's what unity consciousness is. It's unifying thoughts, emotions, and actions. The three aspects of consciousness, such that there is no contradiction between them. Our thoughts, what we say, what, what we think, how we feel, and how we act are one and the same. There's no contradiction. That's unity consciousness. Care is the driver of our thoughts and actions. It ultimately can be seen as the generator of the quality of our shared experience here on the earth. Care is what generates the whole thing. Hence, it has been called the generative principle. Liken the heart to a pump in the body. Well, what does a pump do? It's a generator. It provides energy. It moves the life force through the blood in the body. In every ancient tradition, they talk about the life force being in the blood. The heart is what pumps that through the whole physiology and enables us to continue to sustain life. Okay, the heart is the generator, it's the pump. It's the center of the being. As important as the brain is, which we just talked about the importance of it, the heart 
is ultimately what's generating the experience. Because what we care about determines what we think about on a daily basis most of the time, and therefore how we behave. Anybody familiar with the compasses and square symbol of Freemasonry? With the G in the middle? Well, that's what the G stands for at the highest level. They'll talk about many, many porch masons. These are the exoteric masons that are given the teachings of the profane and they think they're in the know, okay? They're given the, the information, well, this only means geometry, it only means God, etc. okay? One of the things they'll tell you it means in, at a slightly higher level is that it means gnosis, knowledge. At a higher level, at illuminated levels of Freemasonry, which are above 30, 32nd degree, they will give you what the real meaning of the G inside the compasses and square is. And it is the generative principle. It means genesis, creation. And yeah, you can tie that right back to God. I'm not saying those things are different. And the, the forms that get created in the physical manifested world are geometric forms. So it is geometry as well. It's all these things. But at the highest level, it's the generative principle. That's what that G really stands for in esoteric Freemasonry. It's called the generative principle because that means to create. It comes from, the word generative comes from Latin. The verb genere, as we've already talked about, means to create. The generative principle is what we create through. And it's lost because people don't care. They don't have care. Hence, it's the lost principle. Okay? Here's how it works, folks. What we care enough to put our will behind. So again, heart, mind, guts. Guts is the will. The action, the masculine principle. That's what gets, gets things done ultimately in the physical domain. What we care enough to put our will behind. And that's driven by the care. That's the generator or the pump that drives the will. What we care enough to put our will behind is ultimately what gets created or manifested in our world. The world is the way that it is because most people do not care enough, even if they say, they pay lip service, okay, and say that they want things to be different. They don't care enough to actually change it through their actions. What it comes down to is preventing action. Preventing action. That's what the New Age community is designed to do. They want people inactive because the dark occultists know that the thing that is ultimately generating our reality is behavior. Action is what's generating the reality. That gets generated through what we care about because our cares and our desires drive our actions. So most people will say they want things to change, but then when you say, what are you doing to make that change happen? Not a word, silence comes back on the other end. They don't care enough to change it through their actions. That's what the generative or lost principle is about. And until that principle is regained and people get out of their laziness and most of all get out of their cowardice. Again, in that New Age lecture, I'm talking about what it ultimately comes down to in the New Age movement. And I'll look at any New Ager in the eyes. They're cowards. Cowards. Ultimately, they know the evil that we're up against and they intend to do not a damn thing about it. That's what it really, that's what it really comes down to. And anybody telling you it's different than that is lying to you. They're cowards, period.
and I'll say it right to any of their faces. Anything I say up here, I'll, anybody that believes in that nonsense, come and bring them to me. I'll tell them right to their face, straight and open, just like I said it here, because I don't care. So I'm telling you, this religion has to go. It's got to go. If people are going to make real change happen, the idea that it can't be done, uh, that it can be done without taking actual real world action has to be purged from human consciousness. Reality does not work like that, period, the end. I, and I can't make you accept that. I recognize I can't make anybody in this room accept that. All I can do is put it out there for your consideration. And if you have some common sense and really, really think about it, you'll understand what I'm saying here is absolutely the way it is. Many people want to deceive you through these religious notions, which is all about getting people to stand down and accept their chains. That's what that religion's in place for. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. My Instagram is alphamalebuddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, alphamalebuddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast so it's motivational and inspirational i also have promotional t-shirts if you go to my website alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com you can see the promotional t-shirts there reach out to me also if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast just reach out and see if i can get that done i've been getting some really Great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.